Before you're seated, take a minute to greet someone nearby. Well, good morning. It's great to have you here this morning. Uh, as you know, this marks this day marks the end of our summer Sabbath. And so for the next uh, two weeks, uh, the 18th and the 25th, we'll have a 940 service and 11 o'clock. And then on the 1st, we're back into the full swing of things with three services. So be aware that that's happening. Uh, tonight, the youth group is going to be presenting about their recent missions trip to Buffalo, the Love Buffalo trip that you've heard about. So that's happening at 6 o'clock tonight. Love to have you here for that, if you can be here. Uh, Don't forget that Wes and Cindy are still on vacation for part of this week. And if you could be remembering them in your prayers as they are hopefully experiencing a time of refreshing and rejuvenating. And uh, we can hold them up in prayer for that. Next week on the 18th, uh, in the evening, is our dessert fellowship. And that's when we just get together as a community and we'll have some apple crisp and some ice cream. And hang out and talk a little bit together and just meet new people who are here. That's next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. We'd love to have you here for that. And then on the 25th, um, again, two services on that day, 940 and 11. In the morning service, we have the youth group parents meeting. Most of you heard about that already. But if you're a parent of a youth or if you're just someone who's interested in youth, you can come too. We don't mind. Uh, That's going to happen at 9.40 and 11, so whichever service you're not in here, then you can come back there and meet with us then, okay? In that evening, on the uh, 6 o'clock on that evening, on the 25th, is our uh, welcome to student potluck, right? And at that, uh, we're going to, the church is going to provide the main sort of dishes, ham and place settings and something else, and you guys get to bring a dish to pass. And it's going to be a time when we uh, welcome the students that are back and get to know some of them a little bit and help them to feel welcome to our community. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. It would be great if you would remember those in your prayers. Take your bulletin home with you. 
and pray for these throughout the week, a number of people in our community who are hurting or have needs. And uh, if you could remember those in your prayers, that would be fantastic. At this time, we'll invite the ushers to come forward and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, I'll hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life, they come and the road ahead gets steep, I will lift these hands in faith, I will believe. Remind myself of all that you've done And the life I have because of your son Love came down and rescued me to our time of prayer and we spend a few minutes in prayer for our community and 
uh, other things, I invite you to join me at the altar as we pray. Eternal God, you are awesome, and we come today to declare that you alone are God. There is none like you in all the earth. The heavens and the earth are full of your glory, and we offer to you prayers of worship and adoration and thanksgiving. We also come to you, Lord, with those things in our lives that weigh heavily upon us, that area, that habit, that sin with which we struggle and cannot overcome. Father, in this moment of silence, we bring it before you once again today and ask that you will release us and heal us. Lord, we also pray today for people in our community who are in need. There are many suffering grief and pain and heartache and worry. Many dealing with illness and failure and loss. In this moment, hear us, Lord, as we lift those names to you and place them in your care. Lord, you love this world that you have created far more than we do. You love every person in it without exception. And we struggle sometimes to make sense out of a world that appears to be drifting away from you. Drifting towards sin and corruption, toward violence and apathy, toward loneliness and despair. Hear us now, Lord, as we pray for our world. Father, at this time of the year, we are looking forward to, with anticipation, the beginning of a new school year. And we ask for your blessing on Houghton College and Houghton Academy.
Fillmore Central School and Belfast and Cuba Rushford and all of the other institutions in our area. We hold up to you the students, the educators, the administrators, and the staff as they prepare. Father, may your presence and your blessing and your power in each of these places be undeniable. Hear us, Lord, as we lift them up to you now. Lord, we are so grateful that you hear us. It's an awesome thing that we can bring to you our cares and our concerns and our worries and exchange them for your peace, Lord. We leave these things in your hands. Give us the courage and the patience to trust you for every answer in your way and in your time. We pray this through the wonderful and glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive us our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture for this morning is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. It's located on page 1157 in your pew Bible. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
Thanks. You may be seated. Well, Jill's uh, at home this morning. Gabe is a little bit under the weather. He was coughing a bunch, and he's three months old today, so he's coughing a lot. And when babies cough a lot, that makes us nervous. Lucy had pneumonia twice in her first year, and so we figured we'd keep Gabe home for that reason. Plus, parents who bring coughing babies to the nursery are not everybody's favorite parents, so we decided that was best. But, uh, so you probably missed it this past week, but this Wednesday, uh, this past Wednesday, Jill and I celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. That's right. We were married in the last millennium. And it was a beautiful August 7th day. And it was in Jill's hometown of Westfield, New York. Anybody been to Westfield? A lovely place. Right on Lake Erie. Got lots of grapes. It's a beautiful place to go. There was not a cloud in the sky. Actually, it was very much like today. Maybe a touch warmer. Uh, nothing heavy on our hearts. It was just a beautiful day. My parents were there. Jill's parents Uh, Six of our grandparents were there. Three of those grandparents have since passed away. Uh, All six of our siblings were there as well. Jill has three sisters, and I have two brothers and a sister. And they were all there, and they're all married now, but none of them even knew their spouses then. And uh, you just think about how things have changed, and you think on that day the whole family was there, but now there's a whole new family coming into the world you didn't know then, you know. And between those six siblings and us, there are 12 new little lives and three coming into the world by January. So um, it's a great thing to be married. The, the story of our life together, I think, has been an amazing story, although it's been perfectly ordinary. We haven't become famous or rich. We haven't battled unusual adversity, as many of you have. Our lives have been a boring blessing in that way. But there isn't any way for me to look back on August 7th, 1999 without feeling that in many ways that was a pivot point in my life. On that day, I committed my life and myself to a woman that I thought I knew, but I had no idea who she was, and she had no idea who I was. But we have largely been a very good team for each other. Those of you who know Jill and I know that she is generally strong where I am weak, and I am generally strong where she is weak, and both of us are capable and mostly willing uh, to do the grunt work that any good marriage requires. I say mostly because we argue and we carry on like any normal couple, but... uh, But we're mostly willing to do that grunt work for each other. And and we've taken seriously the command to be fruitful and multiply. So if you had told me, if you had told me 14 years and four days ago that we'd be back in Houghton doing what we're doing with four little brown-eyed kids, I would not have believed you because it would have seemed too wonderful to me on that day. Now that's wonderful. And with all of that wonderful stuff in mind, I want to say something odd and maybe even off-putting. But I think it's biblical, so I'll say it. Marriage is not for everyone. In the New Testament, Paul most often seems to regard marriage as a necessary evil for some people, a concession to our bodily weakness. And this is at least in part because he seemed to expect the second coming to happen very soon. But but it also had a lot to do with the fact that he felt it was better to be completely consecrated to God, body and soul. 
And his famous remark in 1 Corinthians 7 about, you know, those who can't practice self-control should marry because it's better to be married than to burn with passion. That may serve as a little window into how Paul understood marriage. Now, I think we would all affirm this idea with our intellects, right, that marriage is not for everyone. But when push comes to shove in our hearts and in our culture, we tend to think and feel and act like marriage is for everyone. Those of us who are married treat it as kind of a normative, a normal human existence. And those of us who are not married, those who are single, often go through a period of intense struggle with their single life. Am I called to this forever? Is this something I'm supposed to be? Am I supposed to be single? Everyone around me is married and I feel like I don't fit in. When push comes to shove, both married and single folks tend to feel like it is for everyone, even though we say it's not. And I want to speak as is my want, frankly and confessionally here, right? Those of us who are married don't always know what to do with our friends who aren't married, right? We tend to be clumsy and sometimes hurtful to our friends who aren't married because we find ourselves saying and doing the wrong things. And if you're single, please, it's not because most of us who are married are mean. Um, It's mostly just because we see marriage as kind of this defining relationship in our lives and we can hardly remember what life was like Without it. And so it can be very hard to know how to relate to someone who doesn't have that same kind of relationship in their lives. And I would imagine it's the same way for single folks to married folks who can't quite imagine having that relationship right at the center of our lives. So it's very hard to know how to relate to each other. I think it also makes it harder, frankly, that our culture tends to have great expectations for marriage. We tend to load a lot on our spouses. Our culture tends to understand our spouse as a person who somehow completes us and completely meets all of our needs for intimacy. Emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, physical intimacy. We increasingly expect our spouses to be completely reliable sources of total love for us. And because of this, right, our marriage becomes the primary way we understand who we are. It's our primary source of identity. I can't stress enough, though, that this is not an idea we get from the Bible. Yes, Scripture places a very high value on spouses being reliable, on spouses being trustworthy, on spouses being loving. But but the idea that marriage somehow gives my life meaning or that life is not worth living without being married or, or that my spouse is somehow my salvation and I am incomplete before I meet them... That's an idea we owe, frankly, far more to Hollywood than we do to Scripture. And Hollywood tells this story really well and very often, and so we tend to believe it. But, but to put it as bluntly as I can, this is a lie. It's not true. And lies have consequences. And so this lie has sprinkled consequences all over the church and all over our cultural landscape. One, one such consequence is that people have come to expect too much from their marriages and they grow dissatisfied with their actual marriages. It's like when you send the youth group away to some amazing youth retreat where everybody in the band is awesome and everybody's good looking and the speaker is great and they come back to their church and they're like, this is boring, right? The same way here. Husbands and wives look at each other and they have these great expectations for what marriage will be. And they say, this is it? This is who I married? 
Right? I mean, he's gotten bald. She's gotten fat. He's grown distant. She won't shut up about her needs. He's ungrateful. Right? She doesn't appreciate me. Right? Our kids are a whole other story. Right? We have that sort of... It's, it's true, right? I mean, these are the things that define all of our marriages, no matter what the presenting issues are. These are the things that, that burble underneath our marriages. I remember uh, distinctly, I was visiting Jill's family once uh, over the new year, and the Eagles were playing in a playoff game, and it didn't appear that Jill's family wanted to watch the Eagles playoff game. What is wrong with these people? I, but, so I went to a place in town to watch the game, an establishment, shall we say. I didn't drink, any, I didn't drink anything un-Wesleyan, I mean, but I was just watching the Eagles and the Cowboys, and it was not going well. The Cowboys were winning, and I was getting grouchy. And so I was thinking about all that I had sacrificed in order to be with Jill's family that weekend. And I was thinking about all the ways in which she didn't appreciate all the things that I was sacrificing for her. The next table over from me were a couple people who were not watching the game. And they were, let's just say, I mean, I, I was, you know, a PhD student at that point, And I, you know, I just kind of understand myself as one of the articulate intellectual types. And next to me, there were folks who didn't really come across as that intellectual. They didn't seem... And so, I listened. I couldn't help but hear because they were talking about their marriage increasingly loudly. And they were beginning to argue out loud. And the, husband, or the wife said to the husband, And I went across town for you this morning to get your smokes, and you didn't even say thank you. And I thought, you know what? We're arguing about the same stuff. You know, the same bitterness that's going on in my heart is the same bitterness in their... It, it's the same, right? It's the same across all marriages when we don't... We feel like our spouse doesn't understand us. They're not grateful for us. When we compare our real lives to what Hollywood and what sometimes even the church says our marriage needs to be, we feel like failures. And so marriages descend into icy silence. Marriages break up completely because spouses turned out to be human instead of Jesus, divinely perfect at meeting relational, emotional, intimacy needs. That's one consequence of this lie. Another one is that, uh, well, let's just think about the college here in our town. It's the center of many of our lives. There are many more young women that attend our college right now than young men. Let's suppose conservatively that 200 more young women attend our college than young men. That's at least 200 young women who will come and go through this time in their college career and leave without a serious relationship. And of course, many students, both women and men, come through college, get to this time where they feel like they're a young adult and they leave unattached. They're not married and they're maybe not even dating seriously. Any theology of marriage that tells these young people that marriage is the way to get your needs for love and intimacy met in a context where we know they can't all get those needs met. That's just not a good theology of marriage. Any way of talking about marriage that says, this is the way, this is how God works, this is it, get married or else, to people who can't all get married, that's not nice, and it's not true. Right? In an evangelical subculture, not just Houghton, but in an evangelical subculture where there are often many more young women than young men, it implies especially to young women that happiness comes when you find a man and catch him. That's not biblical, I think. Yeah. In fact, it's probably not true. <laughs> man, I don't even know. She was more happy. We'll talk about that in another sermon. But. 
that's another consequence. And, you know, there's even more consequences to this lie, right? Many of you know that same-sex marriage and relationships, that's an interest of mine, research interest. And as I meet young people, especially Christian young people, who experience sexual attraction to people of the same sex, attraction they didn't consciously choose, one of the things they struggle the most with is loneliness because they feel like their lives, for whatever reason, it'll be very difficult for it to follow the normal pattern. And the normal pattern is you get married, you have children, and that's how you get your relationship needs met. They want to be faithful. They want to follow the call of Christ when it's difficult. But when the culture hammers home the message that if you want to experience real love, if you want to experience real intimacy, you need to be married... Then we have this phenomenon where students who uh, experience same-sex attraction accuse traditional Christians, this is the language most often, they accuse them of condemning them to a life without intimacy. Right? People with same-sex attraction know that marriage to someone of the opposite sex is going to be at the very least hard for them, maybe impossible for them. And so if we imply that the only way that you can be happy, the only way that you can have your needs for intimacy met is through marriage, that's a very damaging message for them too. It doesn't speak hope to them in any meaningful way. So this lie that marriage meets all of our needs has a lot of consequences. We need to do better. But how? Well, that's a big question, but let me start by pointing us to the Bible, to that second half of the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, which Dan read. And and in this section, Paul speaks to a church that is divided by religious heritage, the Jews and the Gentiles. And any student of the New Testament knows this, but much of the epistles, many of the early days of the church, it's taken up with this question of whether and how the Gentiles can be admitted to the fold without first accepting the cultural and religious tenets of Judaism? What, what do you, how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? And so Paul reminds the Gentiles here of their spiritually empty state before Christ's life, before his death and resurrection. Right? Without Christ, the Gentiles are distant from God and from his people. And he uses very relational language and says, without Christ, you were strangers and aliens. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But since Christ has come, says Paul, you who were far away, far off, have been brought near. Christ himself has been our peace. And I love the imagery that Paul uses here. You can almost imagine Jesus just walking around and saying peace. Right? He says, he speaks peace to you and peace to me. He makes the Jews and the Gentiles one and destroys the hostility that that once kept them from genuine relationship with each other. And here's the kicker, he says, in as much as you begin to experience genuine relationship with each other, that's what makes it possible for you to have genuine relationship with God. And so Jesus comes and he says, peace to you, peace to me, peace to those who are far, peace to those who are near, peace to everybody, all for the sake of building us together into a household, into a family of God, with with Jesus occupying the prime position, the cornerstone, and, and the rest of us built on his ministry and built on the ministry of the apostles and the prophets. To me, this is an amazing passage, and those of you who know me well know that passages like this give me a lot of life. Um, but I, because I think it speaks to this amazing reality at the heart of the gospel 
that our relationships are absolutely essential for making a home for God in the world. And I know that you can push any metaphor too far, so I will try to resist the urge to push the metaphor too far, but consider this for a second. We together are a house for God. And only as our relationship with each other is strong and actual can we effectively show the love and the light of God to a dark and lonely world. And for a long time in our subculture, we've talked about the importance of inviting Jesus into your heart. But this passage says it's not just as if Jesus lives, you know, in your heart and your heart and your heart and your heart and and individually in all of our hearts who are here. This passage says somehow that God is bound up in the fabric of our relationships. And because of that, reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. If if we're going to build a house for God, we only do so together. If we're going to be a family with God, we only do so together. And this This is good news. This is good news for a culture that is at once fascinated by and repulsed by the traditional family. It's it's good news for those who are unmarried for whatever reason, because it, it means that finding meaning and purpose in life is not accessed through traditional family structures. It's found through being part of the household of God, which is open to all people. While a traditional family, I will not minimize it. I mean, you heard me talk in glowing terms about my wife, right? It, it's, it's an essential part of who I am. You can't know me apart from that relationship. It's been an important part of the way God has shaped me and grown me and changed me. But it doesn't mean that those of you who are not married have to miss out on all those good blessings in life. That's good news, <laughs> And it's good news also for those of us who are married but are sometimes disappointed with our spouses, which is actually everybody who's married, right? Be- because it, it allows us to let go, them go of that crushing burden that we place on them to meet every need in our lives. And it's good news for those of us who disappoint our spouses occasionally, which is, again, all of us who are married, right? Because this crushing burden of guilt that I feel sometimes when I haven't been completely loving or completely perfect is something I can let go of. I don't have to be Jesus for my wife. And this is good news for a world in desperate need of reconciliation. Reconciliation with each other, reconciliation between nations, reconciliation within ourselves. The gospel is is all about God taking people who were opposed to each other and proclaiming peace to all of them through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, so that he can be made manifest in the world today through our love for each other and through our new life together. That's good news. But it's good news that's sometimes hard to accept because it calls us outside of ourselves. It calls us outside of the ways that we're accustomed to thinking about our marriages. It calls us outside of the way that we're accustomed to thinking of our churches. It makes different demands on us than we're used to hearing. So there are a couple of these that I want to highlight this morning. A couple of these demands, and I want to be clear that I don't do all these things perfectly or even well sometimes. But there are two things I want to lift up and say, I think this is the way forward for us if we want to take seriously this idea that reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. 
First, and this is a short one, it demands that we take genuine Christian unity seriously. As evangelicals, we have traditionally cared more about truth than unity. Right? There's the, I'm a Baptist, so I can tell this joke, right? But there's a story of the the guy who's on the deserted island and they come and there's three, they find him on the island and there's three houses and the guys who find him say, well, what's that? And he says, that's my house. And he's like, well, what's that? And he's like, well, that's my Baptist church. And they're like, what's the third one? He's like, that's the Baptist church I used to go to. Right? (laughs) Right? So I'm a Baptist and sometimes Baptists have taken almost perverse delight in saying, I'm right, I will not compromise. I'm striking out on my own because I believe in truth. Well, I, I believe in truth as well. But I think this passage also says that not only being right is important to God, but somehow unity is important to God. That, that it's somehow a key to the gospel that people who are wildly different from each other get reconciled so that God can be honored in their reconciliation. And so that the whole world can see, well, what kind of God reconciles this type of person with this type of person? I want to know that God. And so... It matters how we interact with Christians in other towns, in other denominations, with other theologies, right? Truth is important, and unity is important too. That's truth, (laughs) that unity is important to God. So it's important for us to keep that in mind in some way. The second thing is, I think, more important, more germane to this morning. It demands that we take seriously the needs of the community that we live in as our own needs, It demands that we take seriously the needs of our community as seriously as we take our own needs. Now, I don't know about you, but I like liberty and freedom to make decisions as I see fit. I like having the final call on what I'm doing and when I do it. And to some extent, right, that's unavoidable for most of us. We're adults and we like having that, and we do have those choices in many ways. We do have to make those choices, and we do have to set boundaries in our lives. And yet sometimes, right, I'm accustomed to taking certain responsibilities and saying, you know what, those responsibilities have a right to cut in on my autonomy. When Gabriel cries at 2.30 in the morning, I don't think to myself, Gabe, I'm setting my boundaries here. Right? I'm exercising my right as an autonomous individual. I do not want to get out of bed. It is not best for me to get out of bed. I know this, and you'll know it in time, and so I'm setting my boundaries. That's not what I say to Gabe. I push the pillow onto the floor. I grumble. I get out of bed. I look at that baby, and I say, what are you doing awake? (laughs) And I pick him up, and I take him to his mom. Right? What? I can't feed him. That's a whole other story. (laughs) I get up and I get the baby. And Jill feeds the baby. Why? Because Gabe has a legitimate claim on our time and our availability. He does. Just by virtue of being Gabe, he's earned it. He gets to cut in on my autonomy. In the same way, I love to run. But since Gabe has been born, it's been a busy time for our family. Running has had to take a back seat sometimes, right? I dislike that. Last night, I saw it. I haven't gone running in a while. I need to go run. So I went running at 8.45 at night and got back at like 10.15. I'm like, this stinks. This is not the time of day to run. It was so beautiful yesterday. But you know what? My family has a right to say, you know what? Truncate the running, pal. You know, like we need you at home. And I care about 
contributing to my family's strength and vibrancy. And so I let go of my autonomy to contribute to their well-being. And I think this passage suggests that perhaps we need to expand that circle a little bit to say that the needs of our communities, specifically our church community, are real, genuine needs, which to some extent have a legitimate claim on our time and our effort. Right? If we're going to build a house together for God, then the ties that bind us together are important to keep strong, even when it's not rewarding for me personally. Even when it's difficult for me personally to make time or effort, it's worth it just for the sake of keeping the relationship strong. I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I have tremendous respect for married couples who say, we're really struggling. We are at the brink of divorce, but we are staying together for the sake of our children. I have all kinds of respect for married couples who do that, to say we're staying together for the sake of the kids. There's a sense that we don't like each other right now. We know that our relationship has meaning and purpose beyond the immediate joy and satisfaction it brings to us. There's something more important than my satisfaction here, and so I'm staying with him for the sake of the kids. In the same way, you might think of it as this way. This passage from Ephesians says, we have a shared job to do that we can only do together. We need to stay together for the sake of our Father, if that makes sense. That there's something so important about our relationship, even when we don't like each other, even when we don't like what's going on, that we have something that we can show to the world that we can only show together. And so we persevere together. We need to do better with this. And I I really struggled with how to put this because in some ways Houghton does this better than any place I've ever seen. I love this place. And I, I remember how you welcomed us when we moved in. People brought us cakes and pies and fresh blueberries and they unpacked our moving truck with us and people hugged us and they invited us to church and just generally so hospitable and and it wasn't a facade it wasn't like you stopped being nice to me ever right you kept on being nice to me and when lucy was born and when gabe was born you brought meals for us you helped us out when we moved from a place on route 19 up to the smith's house we've enjoyed meals together we've enjoyed discussions together we've done life together That's been amazing to me. It's been such a gift these last four years. But yet somehow there is, and again, forgive me, I just don't know quite how to put this, right? There is somehow a sense of deep dissatisfaction that, that goes on beneath the surface for most of us about what Houghton has been or how we're community together or, or what we're becoming. And, and there are stories that we each have and, And maybe it's just because I'm a pastor type that some of you tell me these stories. But but there are stories we each have about how the community has let us down. Or how we're just sure the community is about to let us down. And it's like we we cherish those stories in a sense. It's almost like we, we rehearse those stories because it's important to us this notion that we are gifts to Houghton rather than the other way around. And deep down, there's this feeling of dissatisfaction with how we do life together. Somehow, here in Houghton, a place where we leave our doors unlocked, and goodness, it was such a surprise the first time the mailman came directly into the house to leave the package. That never happened in suburban. Somehow, right here in Houghton, there is this undercurrent of loneliness. How could that be? I don't know. I have an idea. Most of you know that I went to Houghton as a student. I graduated in 1999, 
when we made the decision to come back, I felt defensive. When people would ask me what I was doing and I'd say we're going to Houghton, it's like I could feel them judging me. Their eyes would narrow a little bit. And in that eye narrowing, what I could hear them saying was, you're going back to your old life, huh? You're trying to recreate your college years, aren't you? You can't function in the big, bad suburban world out here, and so you're taking the easy way out. You're going back to your romanticized home, aren't you? And I could just feel them thinking that, and I, I would try to head it off. I would explain that we were moving back to Houghton because it was a good opportunity for Jill's career and, and maybe a good opportunity for mine, and it wasn't like it had to be Houghton, but Houghton was the school that had a job, and this is where the opportunity presented itself. But do you know what? What I wanted to say, what I deep in my heart wanted to say but felt like I couldn't, was that I had been to this place and these people that had called forth the best in me somehow, and I thought it was going to call forth the best in me again. And it was going to call forth the best in my family. And I wanted to say it, but I was afraid to say it because I was afraid people would think I wasn't savvy. I was afraid they would think I was simple. I was afraid they would think I wouldn't have the chops to make it in the real world. And so I went back to Houghton. And mostly I was afraid to say it because I was afraid I wouldn't be the hero of my own life, that you were going to be the hero of my life. And I think a lot of us carry around an inner life something like that. We are at once aware that we have so much to be thankful for because of this place. But we're at the same time aware that if I show too much dependence, I'm going to look simple. I'm going to look like I couldn't hack it anywhere else. And so we're afraid to show our dependence on each other. But here's the thing. That's what this passage is about. Neither you nor I is big enough to build a house for God on our own. We're not even big enough to do it as married couples. We're not even big enough to do it as traditional families. We only can do it together. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And that means sometimes I carry you and sometimes you carry me. You have never seen a more irreverent pastoral prayer than that which happened in the fourth row this morning. Why? Because my children, and I love them, hi Gracie, they were drawing pictures and they were talking to each other throughout the pastoral prayer. And I thought, I have no idea what John is saying. But you know what? The prayers of the people carried me along in that moment. I didn't need to be perfect because there were other people bearing up the needs of the community. And I could take time to be me. And you know what? That happens to all of us. All of us. But an undercurrent of loneliness in our community keeps us from doing that well. And so whether that loneliness is earned, whether it's real, whether it's perceived, it's something that we need to fight together. Well, how do we fight it? Well, first, like I've been saying in the sermon, we take time for each other. Just like Gabe crying at 2.30 is reason enough for me to take care of them, the fact that you're lonely is enough reason for me to see what's wrong. So we fight loneliness by eating meals together, by praying together, by holding each other accountable, by by finding ways to dialogue that don't involve the internet, for heaven's sakes, by inviting each other to use our God-given gifts to help the community. Even when those things aren't convenient, we do them so that we can do our shared job the best we can. And I think the flip side of the coin is that we also fight loneliness by doing our best to gratefully receive what the community has given us. 
We fight loneliness when we refuse to allow our insecurities and our anxieties to dictate how we interpret other people's actions toward us. We fight loneliness when we choose to give each other the benefit of the doubt in our interactions. We fight loneliness when we choose gratitude over cynicism. We fight loneliness when we choose clear, loving communication when we would feel much better and much more righteous shaking the dust from our sandals and moving on. Well, enough. I started the sermon by talking about Jill, so I'll end it by talking about her too. When, uh, when we got married... I was in terrible shape. Those of you who know me well know that's true. Uh, But we decided that on our honeymoon, we were going to take this day hike up Mount Lincoln in New Hampshire. And it was awesome. It was fun. But it was getting dark on the way down. And it was just a day hike. We didn't have anything to camp. and, And the downhill hike was harder for me than the uphill hike. My quadriceps, these muscles, were cramping up something fierce. And I'd have to stop and... But I kept going because we had to keep going despite the fact that the sun was, you know, because the sun was going up. So... We made it, you know, don't worry, Jill, no unhappy ending there. We made it down, we made it to the car, but I was intensely, intensely sore for the next week. And for the next few days, Jill walked around like a normal 22-year-old walks around, but I looked literally like a 95-year-old person. I hobbled like this, and I couldn't climb steps, much less go down the steps, I just, I didn't want to do anything at all. And during that time, Jill started calling me decrepit husband. That was, <laughs> been married a week and she called me decrepit husband. But, but she was so, so gentle to me in that time. Right? And, and in my mind's eye, in my mind's eye then, I got a glimpse of what it could be like one day if I'm sick and she has to take care of me. And it's funny, I know, but, but it there was something revealed to me that day that let me know, even more than on the perfect wedding day where the weather was like this, there was something that let me know in that care that she took care of me with that that I had married a good one. And it was then that I knew that this was someone I could could cast my whole lot in life with and that I was going to wind up being a better person than I could ever be on my own. This is the good news, that that is not just for husbands and wives. My relationship with Jill is different than my relationship with you. I'm not married to the rest of you. But it is different more in intensity than in kind. We have the potential to call forth the best in each other. And we have the privilege and the high calling of showing forth God to the world. Let it be so. Let's pray. God, thank you for calling us into this body. And we know, God, that life in this tiny town, and most of us connected with one of these institutions here, it has its ups, it has its downs, it has its difficulties. We pray, God, that you would help us to see and embrace the good things that come with being a part of this world here. We know, God, that there are many blessings. Help us to be unafraid to be dependent on your blessings and on you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
think that's all the blessing you need. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God be with you.